0: Welcome to Series 1, Episode 8 of Distinct Poplar, a twice-monthly audio fiction series written and read by Matt Herzberg from www.distinctpoplar.com. This episode is titled, The Name Face Collector. Somewhere once... In a city that forgot to stay clean. They call them name face collectors, and right now one was circling around him. He couldn't see it just yet, but he could hear it breathing behind him in the black of the dark. It was a clicking, gasping sound, each labored breath like choking, like drowning, desperate, and chilling. Each time he heard it, his skin turned to ice. It's the fear that kept him frozen in place, a sensation he had never experienced before this moment. While the name-face collector circled the room searching, gagging, gasping. He clutched his shoulders and knees with a hug from his arms and hands, holding himself so tight that his joints began to cramp. And all he could think about was, why? Why did I decide to leave? Why did I ignore the warnings from the library kids back at school? Don't play hooky on the day of masks, they said the nameface collector will come for you. But it all sounded like a worthless tall tale that prissy kids repeat so they can behave like good and modeled members of the student body. Because he figured, why wouldn't you ditch your classes on a day where everyone has to wear a mask? At least, that's what he was thinking anyway. And kids like him don't stop for a second chance when it came to opportunities such as this one. When Maz Mufflin bet him that he couldn't chug two gallons of milk in the boys' locker room, he made Maz Mufflin look stupid and got himself paid in the process. When that punk Neckle called his sister a whore, he made him bleed during rush period, even though the principal said he couldn't fight no more. When everyone had to suffer through the last 30 minutes of that safety assignment assembly, he turned off all the water obstructors and gave everyone a free open lunch, all thanks to a dash of his trusty silver flip-top windproof lighter, which was like magic to him, in that it always lights. There wasn't nothing or nobody that could keep him down at Cagger High. Go Thunderbolts! He was a big deal in the hallways at school. Nobody messed with him, not even the teachers who monitor the halls for stragglers, with their leather-toothed lashers coiled and ready to strike. So naturally it came up, as it does everywhere in school, on one day a year when everyone in this stinking city had to wear a mask. For holidays, for tradition, for history. All of it's meaningless and boring if you asked him, and yet the question stands each year, why doesn't anyone play hooky on the day of masks? After all, nobody would know it was you if you did. The library kids told him that he should heed their warning, beware the nameface collectors, The special masks that transform willing teachers and staff into horrific monstrosities that hunt down missing kids on the same special holiday in question. Beware the name-face collectors made from the most mean-spirited and spiteful teachers who took a special kind of enjoyment in abusing their students. Beware the name-face collectors. They'll find you and they'll kill you if they catch you. Or so, that's what everyone at school had been saying. And right now, he was stuck in the sucking basement of an old department store on 55th and 21st and Cherry Block Street, huddling inside a pile of old fur coats while one of these monsters patrolled the room, diligently searching for him. It tossed boxes and it sent racks of smelly old clothing crashing to the floor. It hollered and squawked in frustration as it tore the room apart, trying to find him. He remembered when there was nothing that got to him. Now, this was the first time he'd ever been straight up scared. It started just outside while he was eyeing some stuff he wanted through the window of an old department store. How would anyone ever find out if I took something, he thought, eyeing himself in the reflection of the window display. He saw his own plain blue mask with minimal features, two slits for eyes, one for the mouth, and one slit in the nose to breathe. Nothing special, because it was all meaningless, boring. "'Stupid and dumb. "'There's actually nothing they can do "'if he had just strolled in and took whatever he wanted. "'As long as he didn't get caught, how would they ever know? "'Just as he was set and ready to commit the caper, "'it was the name-faced collector that spooked his potential crime spree "'as it was coming straight for him. "'How would he ever know such a thing?' with but the exception of a terrible and ominous feeling, the kind of sensation of doubt and self-pity, like someone or something has its eyes peeled onto you with such perfection as to stare down to your very soul. And that's when it came to view an oversized white button-down shirt torn in five places with a necktie dangling by shreds of the fabric, a giant pair of malformed shoulders that seemed almost too big for anyone to be possibly real. At the top was a head like a sandbag, flopping and threaded like coarse sackcloth, two large black eyes like fragmented obsidian, and where its mouth should have been, was a mass of unfurled strands of yellowed paper. Well, he didn't waste any time and started running. There was no mistake that it, whatever it was, was swiftly making its way straight for him. There were claws that had stuck straight out from its hands in place of fingers, which were raised in the air ready to grab him, and there was one strand of paper that lifted from the thing's mouth and stuck straight out, like it was pointing right at him. So he shoved his way through the giant double-spinning doors, through groups of masked adults whom looked like animated mannequins detached from their window displays. "'through corner displays, which he knocked over in the haste of his retreat. "'Hide was all he could think of. "'His feet felt like blocks of ice, "'and his heart beat so hard in his chest that he started to shake. "'Hide, hide, hide. "'The racks around him shook as he continued to tremble. "'He'd never been so afraid, so afraid he'd never been so afraid.' the nameface collector did not change its straight and narrow path. The extended piece of paper, separated from the others, pointed around the building in every possible direction. It curved, it extended, it searched for him, and when it had found what it was looking for, the nameface collector quickly barreled through the department store in the most direct path to its victim. Any one, or anything in its way, was shoved to the floor, or pushed out of the way. That was all he needed, the mere sight of it coming straight for him. Drove him deeper into hiding, and that's how he ended up here, a jaunt down some old tiled stairs, and a busted-up door with a busted-up doorknob that meant it couldn't close or lock right, which was just his luck indeed. He dove into a pile of old, old ladies' fur coats that smelled like mothballs and mildew. Gathering them around him, lost in the black of the dark, he could hear it force its way through the door, almost breaking it from its broken hinges. Lost in the moment of terror, which stung so sharply as it had never been there before, the named face collector gasped and clicked and gasped and clicked And soon, it would be on top of him at any moment. And then nothing. The moment came to a screeching halt. It was the silence, the absence of sound drawing in all around him suddenly, so much so that his ears felt like they were beginning to swell up with nothingness. He was so wrapped up in the moment of fear that the shock of silence was confusing and paralyzing. It wasn't long before his breathing resumed and the rapid pounding of his heart staggered to shorter beats. Where did it go? Is it gone? The terrible moment stopped just as the name-faced collector had drawn so close. He counted to ten and then held on to his breath. In the silence, he became very aware of the darkness all around him. It's time to move, and escape, before the black of the dark swallowed him whole. I must move, he thought, I must. Maybe it was gone or disappeared or maybe it lied in wait, but no matter the case, he'd not come out of this by waiting for his death each moment in the silence surrounded by waves of rolling darkness. His eyes made tricks of the formless black, nothing that floated all around him. Then he began to make the gasping sound, as the feeling of suffocation from the black was overwhelming. No room, no air, no freedom in the darkness. After the first pitched gasp, he clamped his mouth, and ground his teeth to keep from giving away his position to the name-face collector. Should it ever be close, and waiting patiently. Another unstoppable gulp of desperation was born within his chest, and it rose painfully, like a bubble of air, up through his throat and into his mouth, the pain of which forced his teeth apart, like phantom fingers affixed to his jaw. The next gulp was like a shriek. One thousand painful hiccups sat in his chest and burst from his mouth in a painful eruption of desperate noise. This is where the effort came up quick and sudden, immediately following the second. A surprised, uncontained shriek let loose, announcing his hiding place. There was no sense in hiding any longer. Three gasps of painful suffocation, lungs on fire, his head ablaze with burning pain. It's all he could have done but to keep himself still. So he broke and fired up from his hiding place. Jumping up from the floor, the old old lady's coats flying through the air, he rushed towards where he remembered was the door. No sooner had his feet left the ground, his legs pumping, his torso bent and ready with arms held up to protect his face. No sooner than had he made his move did his ankle connect with one of the metal spiral racks that were stored down here with all the rest of the junk. And as he plummeted blindly through the dark, his fingers and hands and arms unable to catch him. He thought of how this will be the place that he'd die, and nobody would ever find him. Buried under boxes, trapped by spinner racks, covered with smelly coats of dead grandmothers, he would be lost forever. He would be nothing at all from this point forward. Cold, hard reality snapped him back, as he collided, jaw first with the slick concrete of the basement floor, with no way to soften the blow, his arms spread wide instead of out in front, his whole head felt like it snapped clean from his neck upon impact, the sound of it echoing through his ears. Stars of exploding light shot to and fro in front of his eyes in the black of dark. With a jaw of rocks, he could feel his tongue wriggling like a fish inside of his mouth. He tasted blood, tasted it like it was everywhere, not just his lips, but also his nose, his ears, his head, an overwhelming feeling of warm ooze draining the life from his body. When it all came around, he was ready to try again. With one leg too tender upon testing, he realized that his full weight would need to be placed on the other. He knew he'd be hobbling out of here, if he could get out of here at all. The world was an obstacle course, thanks to the rampage that coerced him in here. Each labored step forward could be a death trap. A turned ankle could find no relief in hesitation, so he decided he had to take another step. Then another, and then another, and another still. It all seemed so clear from this point forward. Then the gasping started again, and he attempted to freeze in place. For it wasn't his own desperate gulps of air this time, but the clicking, gasping, breathing of the nameface collector, the sound of which was somehow all around him at once, overhead, underneath, and at all sides. There was no way out of this without the use of his eyes. As the nameface collector closed in, his choices were to either wait, fight, or run for it. So he chose to fight. After all, he was the kid who put twice held back upperclassmen, pinned old slots in the nurse's office three times running. So it was time to bolster himself, tighten the gut, and stand up straight. He was ready to face his nameface collector. What he needed was an edge, something to fight back with, a weapon. That's when he thought of the old lady's coats the smelly, old, chemically-treated fake fur coats, brittle to the touch and dry enough to combust. So he leaned down to the ground, grimacing and grinding his teeth in pain, and eventually he found them. Apparently, he hadn't gotten very far from his hiding spot. The coats were behind him, and he gathered them into a small pile. The nameface collector seemed closer than ever, and the gasping stopped suddenly, evaporating into silence once more. Precious few seconds passed, and soon he heard a new sound to fill the vacuum. It was the sound of paper, the strands of parchment that protrude from the collector's mouth as they are undoubtedly unfurling, loosing, draping, and uncurling. The hot breath of the thing he noticed. He noticed that, too, alive in the very air and sticking to his skin in beads of disgusting moisture that drip, drip, drip down the surface of his face like tears. It was now or never. He grabbed one of the fur coats in one trembling hand, and in the other he pulled his trusty silver-plated flip-top windproof lighter from his pocket. With a thumb, he flicked the flip-top back away from the wheel, which he forced to ignite on the fluid, and the return stroke of the same thumb. He felt confident because this was his trusty lighter and it always lights. It was magic. One spark, the room came alive in a flash. He squinted as his eyes suffered to adjust. From in front of him was the lumbering form of the Collector. The sudden flicker of the trusty lighter bounced off of its unblinking, glassy black eyes before the room returned to black. It always lights. It was magic. To Spark, the darkness receded for a moment before swallowing the flash in triumphant return. He could see the image of the Collector closing in, its paper tendrils spread out to all sides like the tentacles of an octopus. It always lights. It was magic. Three spark. There's no more time to waste. He raised the coat up to meet the lighter, awaiting the flame which finally caught and burst into existence, creating a bright glow. It was magic always lights. The collector was upon him then, its mole-like clawed fingers wrapped around his shoulders, holding him still in place. It pulled him in close, the paper tendrils leaping their tips to his face. Each one stung worse than the last as they attacked in succession. That was all but one which curled out like a snake's tongue. Upon that last paper strand was writing that he had not noticed before, but it was difficult to concentrate in the rush of the moment, blood pumping from a pounding heart. Each vein felt like it was wriggling beneath his skin along the arms and along his legs. He pressed the flame of his trusty lighter to the edge of the old dry fur coat and in those brief and fleeting microseconds, as he expected the brittle, fake fur covered in treatments of hazardous-smelling chemicals to burst into an inferno. He then could clearly read the words on the final writing strand of paper. It read, Hilden Stringson, his name, which then latched to his forehead, the final painful sting. The flame of his trusty lighter failed to ignite the old lady's fur coat. Its bright glow was extinguished as the paper strands began to drain the very feeling of life from his face. The room went dark, and he succumbed to the black. If you like what you've been hearing so far, please consider rating and reviewing Distinct Poplar. Positive reviews are a big help, and I truly appreciate it. This has been Series 1, Episode 8, The Nameface Collector, by Matt Herzberg, copyright February 28th, 2018. Music for this episode was done by Chris Zabriskie, except for the outro music. For more information, check the show notes in the episode description. For more stories like this one, as well as ebooks and much more information about this city that forgot to stay clean, check us out online at www.distinctpoplar.com or through our social media. Just search for Distinct Poplar on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Stop by. Say hello.